All right, on this episode of Making the Argument, we have a special guest with us here today, uh, State Senator Bryce Reeves, who's running for Congress in the Virginia 7th Congressional District. I know a little something about the 7th Congressional District. We're going to ask about how the race is going. And the reason why this is important is because, once again, we're talking about an election cycle where Republicans have an opportunity to take back the House of Representatives. And Bryce is going to explain why he should be the guy to do that in the 7th. We're going to ask some tough questions because I know our audience is a little bit frustrated with Republicans running on one thing and doing another. And so let's see if Bryce can explain to us why he is not the typical Republican that runs for federal office. All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Now, I know this is the point in the show where typically Hamilton comes on and uh, does all the promotion, tells you to smash like buttons and all of that sort. But while Hamilton is here today, we took away his microphone, not because he was bad, but because he's got other things to do. But as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia General Assembly House of Delegates. But other than that, I'm a good person. With me, as always, my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Nice to be with you. Our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines, who we have an ongoing bet on whether or not he should reshave his head. I vote yes. <laughs> Christian? It's good to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. All righty. Oh, Christian loves to grill politicians. Like one No, of no. Things. I just want to talk about the district. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I said before, Hamilton is here, but he's not allowed to speak. We've taken away his microphone. But he still does great things. And remember, he is the Hamilton that doesn't believe in central banking, which makes him the good Hamilton. All right, you can kind of hear him in the background there. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Sitting with us today, State Senator Bryce Reeves. How you doing, Bryce? I'm doing well. It is so hard to take you seriously grinning across the table from me. <laughs> well, I, look, I'm going to get in. We're going to get in all the questions, talk about your runs, stuff like that. But before we do any of that, for anybody that doesn't know Bryce Reeves, tell tell us a little bit about you. I'm Nick Freitas's friend. <laughs> All right. So life history, uh, like Nick, I was born in California. Oh, and you're going to admit oh. that on air? I, I'm going to say it. I we was, can edit that later. We so. can. Yeah, that's all right. I don't mind. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the Reagan children, yeah, right? You know? Refugee. Yeah. No. Uh, anyway, grew up uh, to middle-class family and grew up farming in Colorado. And we lost our farm uh, when I was in middle school. So I had to move with my family to Texas. And that's where I went to junior high school and high school and played football, ran track, played baseball and went to Texas A&M University, was in the Corps of Cadets there. And um, as a cadet, I, I took an Army contract early on and um, was the enlisted gra uh, undergraduate airborne school. And uh, then uh, between your junior and senior year, you get a chance to go to the advanced course. But back then, they a few of select individuals had the opportunity to go to Ranger School and be selected. So... Uh, Won a coveted slot and graduated Ranger School, class 1188. Wait a second, wait a second. So you went to Airborne School and Ranger School as a cadet? I did. Oh, my gosh. We, I mean, when I went to Ranger School, if we found a cadet, that was brutal. Yeah. Well, it's always hard to follow officers, Nick, as we've talked about, you know. Because <laughs> they get lost so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have good NCOs. <laughs> So, All right, yeah. so you go to Airborne School, yeah, you, so, you graduate Texas A&M. Yep, yeah, top of my class, distinguished military graduate, go on active oh. duty. We did that for 13 years, punched out as a captain, and uh, got into law enforcement. Uh, was a, a road dog up in Prince William County, which just happens to be the same exact uh, area, uh, beat area that uh, is in the new congressional district. So did that for a number of years. I did it for about a year and a half, made detective pretty quick, went up to Vice Narcotics, worked uh, as a narcotics detective working undercover and 
you know, it's uh, it's been an enjoyable life so far. And, and as you know, we, um, we got elected to the Virginia Senate about 11 years ago uh, when nobody else thought we could win. We won and showed people what it takes to win in a Democrat district as a conservative and hold those values. And so, um, you know, bless more than I deserve. And we're looking forward to the opportunity to, to run for Congress. Well, and I know um, because every time I've ever seen you speak, of course, you, you tell us about the uh, coaching. Oh, yeah. So uh, so what, is, it, is it tougher? Now, being in politics is often about herding cats. And yeah. so you've got some experience herding. Young men. Young men yep. on the field. Well, it's, you know, it's mostly contact sports, so it's a little <laughs> bit easier than politics. Although there are days you would like to see contact sports in politics, uh, maybe in the caucuses. But, I think uh, people would get more into politics if there was actually some more, some more contact. You know, the there are some parliaments I've that always that made way. the joke that for our nomination processes, we need to fight the GOP primary out through duels. In the because ring. Here's the thing. We want to nominate the strongest candidate to face the Democrats. In the, well, the strongest candidate may not be the best shot, yeah. too. That's just saying. The will to fight, I think, is yeah. a bigger one, right? The will yeah. to fight. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a crazy ride. I mean, look, uh, 11 years ago, we won a seat that nobody could said that we could win. It was gerrymandered. I remember it, it that. Was, yep. It's a Democrat district. The 17th still is, plus yeah. five. And um, for your listeners, they, they need to know the first uh, – uh, person to contact me and who was true believer in what we were doing was this guy named Nick Freitas who had just come <laughs> back from the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, um, he was a special forces ranger guy and he hit me up on Facebook. You remember that? Yeah, I do. And, uh, and uh, we got to talking, and next thing you know, I have this, uh, a ranger buddy in this process and all the way through it, man. And election night, Tina, you remember this, mm-hmm. we won by 86 votes yeah. when nobody said we could win. Yep. And, well, at uh, first we thought you lost. Oh, I was, oh yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I, I remember yeah. I was in I was in Culpeper, uh, gosh, a couple weeks later in an event, and I had a guy walk up to me and say, "Nick, he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, if I would have down to my last dollar, I would have bet it that Ed Houck was going to rewin that seat, and Bryce won it." I said, "Yeah." One of the reasons why that is, though, is that you were also combating a lot of rhinos who. Liked Ed Houck, you know, oh. he did them favors. He he was their friendly guy. And you kind of wanted to get rid of that good old boy system and get back to pol- policy that actually makes sense, that is good for people instead of this uh, backroom deal kind of thing, which it felt it felt very much like we had some rhinos that were uh, putting up a lot of barriers to you. And I think that's one of the reasons everyone thought you wouldn't win. Right. Well, look, his Ed Houck's finance committee chairman was a Republican. So wow. what is you right? And so, but you know, it's the same thing that we face that we're facing right now with Abigail Spanberger on the seventh and Nick ran against her. And we know she says one thing, but yet votes totally different. She votes mm-hmm. 93% with Pelosi, a hundred percent with his president. Yeah. But yet out of her mouth comes a lot of different things. And that's what Ed Houck had done for all those years is say he's Mr. Moderate, you know, I, I'm center left. But when he gets to Richmond, he was Dr. Death, right? Everything he did, whether it be for pro-life legislation or anything, he killed. Yeah, And I think we made that argument effectively and we ran a hell of a game and we got there and, and then... The rest is kind of history. Yeah. I, you know, I kept beating on Nick till I finally could get him where he felt like he needed to run for office. And now, <laughs> you know, now he's like he is the uh, whitestone of the of the house. I mean, when we need topics discussed, Nick's that guy. Well, I, I think the, again, the the thing that 
is, is always interesting to me is that when you run in a now look I I run I have a district that's like R plus. You like to make it hard though. When you run, you make, you make elections really hard to win. Unnecessarily so. (laughs) I got that joke. Yeah. yeah, That's that's a write-in joke for those of you that are wondering right now. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He he conducted the largest. I don't think I've seen him turn as red as his burgundy (laughs) thing on that one. Yeah. But but, he just did that to prove it could be done. He knew he had it. I, I, so I have an R plus 22 district. So that's a much easier district to run in, right? You got a D plus five district. Yeah. And now here's what, here's what always, always happens, right? Somebody gets in there, they got to win a Republican primary. So they're trying sure. to convince all the base. Oh no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a, oh, I'm a staunch conservative. I believe right. in these things. Pro second amendment, pro guns, pro tax cuts, pro free market, pro property rights. And then they get in the general and all of a sudden they get a little bit more shy with their, with their base. Squishy, and then squishy, they get squishy. elected mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, like you got them for, you got them for a couple key votes, but other than that, they're off to the races. And now all of a sudden everything's about how much government money they can spend and everything. And again, I, I've, I've got to hand it to you because you've been in the Senate now, how long? 11 years. So 11 years and you've carried constitutional carry. You've carried SB 908, which we're actually going to talk about right. here in a little early because you carried this before people actually identified that this was going to be an issue. Like you, you just right. committed you what you wish people wouldn't commit and you rattled off a bill number without saying oh, what it is. Oh, that's because I'm, I'm keeping the mystery. I want people going, what's okay. SB What's SB 908? Only the but, most important legislation <laughs> in the last year that's been drawn up again that that's true. the Attorney General will use here. The Mark Herring incident. Yeah, the Mark Herring incident with gun reciprocity. So, like, these were all issues. These yeah. were all issues that um, you you could have you could have taken a walk on. Sure. And for those of you who know, taking a walk is, oh, I didn't vote. No, I didn't vote. Yes, I just uh, I had to go to the bathroom when that vote right. was taking place, right? right? Mm. Like, you could have taken a walk. You, not only did you not take a walk— you were the patron for the legislation. And I already know what happened behind the scenes. Right. right? Behind the scenes, you got people telling you, Bryce, you can't carry it. You can barely vote for this. Mm-hmm. You can't carry this. You're in a district sure. that they'll crush you for this. Right. And you, you didn't well, just Maybe I'd be a one-term it. senator, but I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. Right? You didn't just vote for it. You didn't just talk about it. You actually carried the legislation. And then you won by bigger margins sure. the last several election cycles. So the first one I want to talk about um, or, or the first kind of issue I want to go into is the economy. Because as much as the left wants to make this entire election cycle about, you know, Disneyland or, or Roe you know, Ro v. Wade, Wade yeah. um, which, by the way, th- that's an important issue. But when people are polled on, on what is motivating right now, they're talking about inflation. They're talking sure. about supply chain. They're talking about gas prices. So baby formula, baby formula. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you see? Cause I mean, nobody, nobody questions that the gas prices are a huge problem. You know, the, the shortages that we're seeing that we never talked, I think it was Joe Rogan that said it took us what, like six months, it to took go- us 14 months to go from build back better to uh, what was it? Like food, six shortages. Yeah, food shortages, baby yeah. food shortages. Yeah. All right. So what's, what's causing it in your opinion? So, let me just, I want to share a story with you because I think it's really important uh, for your listeners to understand where people in our district, because we share a district, Nick yeah. and I overlap on districts, where they are. So several weeks ago, we left Richmond, we came back, we got nothing done, we spent $40,000 of taxpayer dollars just to go home, right? Waste of money. So I'm filling up because I have a truck like you, Nick, and uh, I'm putting diesel in at five fifty six a gallon, and I'm blessed, you're blessed, we're Filling it up, I see this African-American lady, late model car, because I was a cop, yeah. 
Corolla Gold, two kids inside. Go inside, come back out, run the pump for maybe a minute, if that, right? Hangs the pump up and starts crying. And I did what anybody would do. Anybody at this table would do. I'm like, ma'am, are you okay? Like, are you all right? Like, is something wrong? Can I help you? She's like, I put $5 in and it used to get me to work for two days. Two days. I can't even get to work today. So I filled her car up. That's what we do as Americans, right? Mm -hmm. Made her week for her. That's where people are right now. They're 30 days from the street. Everything's going up. Anybody want to talk about the discrepancy between regular gas and diesel and why diesel is so expensive? Because everything that we move in this economy is moved on trucks for primarily, except for trains, the big stuff, right, is all trucks. So all those costs are getting passed on. And the people at the bottom, the people that are the least, the last, and the lost among us are the ones getting squeezed the worst. Mm-hmm. Yet the left continues to say, hey, this is all about a green economy. This is all about forcing Americans to do what they need to do with regard to the environment and all these things. Well, horse pucky. We have got to put people in Washington that understand where people are 30 days from the street. How do you write the economy? One, you win back the House, and hopefully we can win back the Senate. And when you get a super or the majority and you get the presidency in 24, when you put the policies together to help write the economy and free up business and the economy, that you solidify it in code. Because you put it into law, it's a lot harder to undo than an executive order. Because, look— like him or hate him, President Trump had some great fiscal policies, but they were only as good as his executive order because we had cowardice up in Congress, right, that refused to do the right thing and put into law what would have codified those policies. And, Nick, you know this. It's so hard to unring a bell. Once it's in the code section, you've carried a lot of repeal bills this last session, right? Yep. They all died in the Senate, Right. We were lucky to even get one of your bills to get a hearing because they just weren't even going to hear it, which is something that they never do. In the Senate, you always get a hearing. We have to have people willing to stand up and stand at the top of the lectern and scream bloody murder if we don't start getting some of these things passed and bringing significant pressure on their colleagues to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. No, I, I think it's it's incredible when I hear when I see what's going on with everything from again gas prices, food processing plants that you know we have enough of that. I'm like, this is a manufactured supply chain crisis. It doesn't have to be this way. But like you said, that was I remember I was telling somebody once they were asking me about the Trump administration, some of the positive things that he had done that I really liked. I said he's done some. His regulatory policy has been one of the most helpful things that he has done to the economy. Cutting red tape? Yeah, we, we talk about taxes a lot, and that's absolutely true. Right. You know, I'm a big fan of lowering taxes, and he was able to do that. But it was the regulations when you're talking about, you know, r- regulations on diesel, on gas, on, you know, baby formula, whatever it is. All of Building these cost, stuff. Yep. All of these caused the prices to go up. And, and you're absolutely right. He got in there, and he did what he could do through executive order. But because we had a, for the first two years, people forget this. First yeah, two years, we, we had, had a Republican all. Congress, and they refused to do it because the argument was, oh, well, that's that's moving too far. That's too fast. You know, we got to be careful. Mm-hmm. And you've proven in the Virginia State Senate the opposite is true. Correct. We we actually did a whole we actually did a whole episode on this before the last General Assembly session when the House took back when Glenn Youngkin got elected. It was should the strategy now be to like kind of like hold our ground or is it to do and. Christian went over the data like you would not believe. Is like there is absolutely zero p- 
political excuse, right? There's never a good policy excuse. There's zero political excuse to not deliver on what you say you're going to do. So look, I I was thrilled that you all sent bills over to the Senate and made senators take those votes. Yeah. Right. That's the job of the, you guys are in the majority, but then minorities to hold the majority accountable, right? That's what we were able to do in the minority in the Senate is when you guys send those bills over, make them take the hard votes. Yeah. They didn't want to take some of those votes. Oh, yeah. No. I, I, right? This has been one. So first off, I, I love what how you answered Nick's first question on the economy because I have been, for the longest time, been so frustrated at seeing Republicans get elected and then they don't actually follow through with anything. And not only that, the excuses that they give sound superficial. You know, oh, we can't do this because we'll lose the majority or we need to yeah. we need to wait before we can flip the Senate. I, you can dig through the polling. There's like a good example of this is constitutional carry, actually, which Bryce, I believe you've carried yeah, you this. Carry, yeah, Nick and I carried it last a, year. A good example yeah. of this is constitutional carry. And you're in a seat that, I mean, has parts of Albemarle right next to Charlottesville. And it's got Fredericksburg. You've got some blue cities in your district, right? And- Yet, I've never heard you say, you know, Christian, we can't carry constitutional care because I might lose my seat. First off, that's a lie. That argument that I've heard other Republicans yeah, say sure. is a complete lie that, that we will lose our seats if we champion gun rights because the polling is clear on that. Our base votes on that. Well, the regardless la- of polling, Christian, yeah. it's the right thing to do. And it's in our Constitution. <laughs> yes. It says, sell not be infringed. Yeah. I don't know why that's so hard to understand what's in the Constitution. Look. I'm a military guy. Nick is, you know, we've all taken that oath of office to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, and let, let's talk about that, too, from the perspective, because you're a police officer, yeah. right? And what the left constantly tells us is nobody wants to take your gun. I mean, they do, right? They obviously <laughs> they all do. They obviously do. But nobody wants to take your gun. Like Spanberger tried to get away with this. I carried a gun for like, OK, then you clearly don't vote that way. Yeah, but Nerf guns there. don't count. Yeah. Because. <laughs> So nobody wants to take your guns, but we do. And when we do, it's it's all for public safety. It's for your own sure. good. Yeah. So you were a police officer, right? And and so they and and you were in the military. That's the other thing. There's a military grade weapon system, as if they even know what that means. Um, why is it that you, as a police officer, support the Second Amendment when everybody on the left is telling us that well, really, this is this is about protecting you as much as it's protecting these committees, getting these guns out of the hands of citizens? Look, I've never had a good gun owner with a good gun be a threat to me. Yeah. It's always a bad guy with probably a bad gun that they got somewhere else. The other part of that, and you know, you know, I've talked about this, especially in the world that I worked in, in narcotics and undercover and stuff was asset forfeiture. Yeah. And, you know, talk about liberty and freedom. You know, one of the things that, that our code section allows is that uh, if you were presumed to be a drug dealer and had a wad of cash and cars and all these things that the state would allow you to come seize their property. And I always thought that was just wrong until you're convicted or you've signed it off because you're a bad person and you're like, okay, I'm trying to make amends and get out of the fix on man. That's one thing. But to just be able to go take it in court yeah. was wrong to me. Oh, well, and, I, I remember when I carried that legislation and someone was asking me about like, are you, are you going to be able to get this to the Senate? I said, well, yeah, Bryce is going to help me. And people would look at me shocked. Like Bryce was a narcotics cop. Like civil asset forfeiture is almost like 98% narcotics related. They're like, there's no way Bryce is going to help you with this. And I said, I guarantee you he will. He will help me because he's a narcotics cop and because he believes in individual liberty. Right? Well, look, this year I carried, and and I think think we got 100%. Well, I can't remember what the vote count was, but – 
quotas on tickets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, law enforcement wasn't real happy about me carrying that bill, but they certainly <laughs> That was a bill to get rid of quotas. quotas yeah, no quotas on tickets and the rest, right? The fact that we had quotas in the first place. Yeah, sure. Well, week, they, week. they all like to argue that, well, we we, we don't have quotas. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 They didn't yeah. see the emails I saw, yeah. right? Yeah, like the exactly. ones that leaked out, like, you will write this many tickets. So I, I've got to say, like, those are like the sort of votes that if you get into Congress, and by, I think that if you're the nominee that... We can talk. Well, about you're the analyst. Later. If I win the nomination, am I going to win Congress? Because Christian, you are the I guy. I mean, Christian will tell you about how many points. <laughs> <laughs> unless Joe, I, I, this time next year, I probably could. But yeah. um, or, or sorry. Well, sorry, this time next year. I meant to say like you know this time in like the fall. I could yeah, probably yeah. you know like get into like September October. Get back to me, and I yeah. might be able to tell you. But um, I'll run the same model I did with Youngkin actually, if yeah. you want me to. But um, no, the the thing is, is that like. If you get in, and I think you will, if you get the nomination, I mean, the whole country. Uh, what is, is this if stuff? When? <laughs> when? When you get in? He's got to be objective. Uh, be well, the one thing about Christian is he is the eternal pessimist. I so know. Oh, him, that's true. I'm not already this... granting you a whole lot by saying if. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but I remember but, when he used to wear diapers to work, right? <laughs> yeah. So fun story for the audience. When I first met Bryce and Nick, for that matter, was yeah. actually your first campaign. That was my first experience in right. politics. I was set. I, I legally couldn't vote at the time when, right. when I first met Bryce and Nick. Oh, I was man, seventeen. You don't even have any gray in your beard. And look at him. I mean, he's got a now. Full I'm beard. 28. It's yeah. been a while, but yeah. and Bryce has been my state senator my entire adult yeah. life. Um, so we wished he was ours. We had uh, <laughs> we had someone else. Well, we well hopefully he'll be he our shall, Congress shall not but, be named. Yeah. Uh-huh. But like the the thing is, is that like in November, if we can actually beat Spanberger and flip this seat. Some of the things that I think are going to get you some fantastic street cred in D.C. are going to be some of this like personal liberty stuff that yeah. a lot of Republicans, they talk a good game about these things, but then they don't actually follow through with it or they don't think it's a big issue. But we've seen with groups like YAL and stuff like that, that there's a segment of the Republican base. It's not a super large segment, but it's definitely an influential one that deeply cares about some of these things. And I think the fact that you're not just saying, oh, I'm just a typical Republican. I like low taxes and I like guns. Yeah. But, you know, you have a bit of a record behind that is something that if you can carry that to D.C., and you already said it, right? You know, that I, I, it's not about just doing what's politically convenient. It's about doing what's right. There's so many politicians that seem to think that they can only stay in office if they do only what's politically convenient. And I, I don't think that's the case no. anymore. I, I think that, that we're I think the party is ready to start rewarding people that actually stands up and fights. Look at a good example of this would be Lauren Boebert, actually, yeah. who has a giant following online and j- is raking in cash because she's standing up and she's making an argument. And our base for so long, we've been fed Mitt Romney's for so yeah. long. Well, and look, look no further than the last election cycle in Virginia. Yep. Because we we ran on things. What did we? What did we run on? Parental rights, like educational freedom. These are not issues, especially educational freedom. Right, school choice. These are not issues that right. that Republicans typically win the election on, especially education. Yeah, and and yet and yet we did. And then the whole question everybody had was, are we going to actually carry the legislation? Right. And again, Bryce carried constitutional carry um, in the Senate, and and we all we we knew what was going to happen. And people would ask us, like, why are you mm-hmm. carrying this? But because I want them on the board. That's I right. want them on the board, and I want my own side on the board. Right. That's right. We go, uh, look, we we have squishies on our side, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, Nick brought up about uh, parental rights, and and let, let's talk about that a little oh, bit, yeah. you know, because that that helped win the last election, and you know, I, I remember back my second year, uh, really learning how to do the job, 
No one gives you a manual. Um, Nick can attest to it, and Kristen can too. Half of them uh, don't want you to learn how to do the job. <laughs> well, I just want you to take they, marching orders. Yeah, that's it. Like the best thing I learned is read the rule book, right? Yeah. Learn how to play the game as a yeah. coach. I'm telling you, you got to learn the rules, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just remember seeing this, uh, and Nick, we talked the, the writing on the wall, and we already saw parental encroachment way back then. So uh, I, along with um, Kathy Byron, yeah. who's one of your colleagues. Right. Uh, got together a little bill called Senate Bill 908 that said parents have the fundamental right for their care, education, and upbringing of their children that shall not be infringed. And that, that's a result of a Supreme Court decision. And we passed that bill in 2013. It didn't make a lot of headway or like a lot of news or anything else. And and then lo and behold, look what happened last year, yeah. right? You had, you had uh, a sexual predator who uh, forcibly raped and sodomized a young female uh, that was a transgender student um, up in Loudoun County. And uh, because they wanted to protect their, their um, a bathroom policy, they didn't report it in violation of the law, right? And you saw a parent who one of my colleagues actually is representing legally uh, get arrested because he couldn't get any answers. Nobody talked to him. And he went to a, a school board meeting yeah. and, he was, and he was arrested. And Lo and behold, all this stuff comes out. And, you know, now our new attorney general, he's using that law. Yep. Senate Bill 908 is the boilerplate and base plate. That's how we got uh, the mask mandate lifted this year and all the other things that, that went along with that. And you just don't know the impact of your legislation. It might not come for years later, but what well, an important bill, right? When And so much of what we talk about, because I, I want to hit this on another, another piece of legislation, too, that you and I have both talked about. Um, but keeping on this... When you're crafting legislation, and this is this is one of those things that I don't think people, because I've had friends of mine in other states that would, would call me up and say, hey, Nick, I'm going to draft a bill to do this. And it was always like, okay, <laughs> I like the idea of what you're trying to do. Do you understand that the way you wrote that is going to achieve the opposite? Or right. it's going to potentially you know, land you in hot water or, or whatever else it is. Um, it, it is so critical that... Uh, oftentimes to pass legislation in a season where people might not be, you know, it, it, it's not like you're getting a bunch of fanfare right. for something, but it's about laying down certain fundamentals. And what was so critical about SB 908, which is the whole reason why it's being used right now, why it, it is a tool. Again, this is another thing that people don't understand. The attorney general cannot go out and just do what he wants because right. you like it. He has to have a code section. Right. He can't make it up. reference, right? Yeah. So the whole question was, well, how do we combat what's going on with our schools? How do we combat what's going on with all these government mandates? How do we combat what's going on? That was how we did it. Right. Like that, that, that well, bill it says was parents so aren't terrorists. That's for damn yeah. sure. Oh, right? gosh. Well, oh, speaking of that, did you see the report, yes. either of you, that just came out that said that, that – remember that letter that the uh, National School Board Association yep. sent to the Biden oh, yeah. administration saying that, like, these parents are domestic terrorists? Well, an earlier copy of that letter – was going to request the Biden administration deploy troops, the National Guard, at school board, school board meetings. meetings. Right, we can't deploy them to the you know the southern border because that's not appropriate. But your school board meeting, absolutely, that's that's a good place for right. the National Guard. That just blew my well, mind. But, but it, the, it, again, the the what this really comes down to is understanding that when you're doing legislation, it's about it's not just about you know, the idea at the time of what you want. It's about predicting how can this be used. In order to protect individual liberty, sure. parental and rights. you got to get it in code. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, that, it it yeah. matters. That's oh, where yeah. being in the code matters because yeah. we didn't have anything to fall back on. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. And it's, it's that critical. Yeah. So, well, I think, I think that's, um, yeah, again, I, I don't, I don't know where we would be right now with a lot of these lawsuits that we're doing on everything from mass to curriculum, everything else. If we didn't have SB 908 in code, right. If, mm -hmm. that, if that hadn't happened, we, we'd be in a much weaker legal position right now. Um, that also, when, when also we talk about code, there's another issue that you've brought up in campaigning that is near and dear to my heart, and that has to do with germaneness. Oh, yeah. And this is this is one of the reason why I'm breaking this up. The reason why I'm breaking this up. There's Explain somebody, it to the audience. I'm what going is germane? To, I'm going to, every, in fact, every time I Inside hear the baseball term, now. every time I hear the word germane, I immediately think of Smokey and the Bandit, where it's like the Germans got nothing to do with it. See, I think of Germana Community College. Yeah. <laughs> so so germaneness. This is one of those things that should be so important to people. They just don't know that it should be so important to them. And I don't blame single them. object. Single object. One, think of it this way. One issue per bill. Yep, that's that's my first bill in Congress, oh, folks. If oh. I get there, I'm so, telling you so right now, that's quick, the bill though, I'm carrying. For the audience at home that, uh, well, that's that what I'm doesn't know what is yeah. going on in D.C. versus Virginia. So in Virginia, we actually have pretty good, I won't say great, but we have pretty good what we call germaneness rules. Now, the issue is, is that a lot of those, that's still rules, not necessarily code. Right. But um, essentially what it says is that in Virginia General Assembly, when we put forward a bill, that bill has to have one primary issue that it's addressing. And any sort of changes or amendments, if it falls outside of that purview, your bill is now outside of the rules. And we'll actually kick it out for, for germaneness reasons. And what that does is it ensures that citizens that want to come in and figure out what a bill is doing don't have to read to page 437 in some large omnibus package. Um, and, and, that's, and Congress does not have that rule. That is why in Congress you'll get something like the Save the Puppies bill that has a billion dollars for a nuclear submarine, right? right. Like nothing to do with the issue. Well, that's so, also the reason why we have issues with um, maybe on the surface it's a really great bill, but then they attached a bunch of garbage yeah. to it. And then you and have to vote against it, and then yeah. you get attacked. You, you don't get want attacked to save the for puppies. voting against it, or you vote for it because no one has time to read those bills yeah. now. Well, a, think, a good example and, of this is Thomas Massey, who who just voted against that baby formula shortage bill, and he yeah. was like, go read the legislation. There was all The bill was increasing salary for government yeah. employees. Like $28 million, and 23 of it went to yeah, salary. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to vote for that, but now he's getting lambasted on the internet for voting against solving well, the problem. that's because some people aren't learned individuals right we always say that read the bill that's not what the bill says yeah. read the bill right so what so what was your like i know why i love this what was your impetus for saying like first bill in congress germaneness rules well here's why look <clears throat> i'd say 80 maybe 85 maybe even 90 percent of the legislation that we get passed mm -hmm. that's bipartisan that gets no votes against it is because of germaneness or single object rule right yeah so if we have our veterans bills, which we carry sometimes to help our veterans, spouses, licensure changes, if I tried to put a Planned Parenthood bill on that, yeah. survivability is about none, yeah. right? And we can find agreement on that stuff, yeah. right? It's the very contentious issues where you're going to have this back and forth. And if you look at what the contentious issues are, that's less than 10% of the things that need to happen. So, you know, Congress needs to get back to regular order. We need to get back to thing called a real budget, yeah. not continuing resolutions, right? And, and I think, you know, should Republicans be successful? I would require of leadership to come up with a plan. If Newt Gingrich can do that with a contract for America, what is leadership's plan 
for uh, 22. Yeah. What, where's the plan? Somebody show me the plan. You don't go into combat with no plan. Now, it might go to hell in a handbasket yeah. when the first round goes downrange, but at least you got a plan and people can sync to it. And so, germaneness is critical. I think that single object rule is kind of inside baseball, but I think most Americans can understand that. 5,000-page bills are a bunch of you-know-what. Well, and it, it pulls at something like an 80% approval rating. And, and the reason why is this. And, and this is the way I connect this germaneness rule to SB 908, right? SB 908 was a bill that you submitted that most people would think, why do you even need this? Oh, like, I got told that by the left all over this the place. Even a big, right? This isn't even a big deal. It's not an issue. Well, we sure as hell know now why we needed it, <laughs> right? Yeah. By the same token, when I hear a Republican candidate say, I'm going to cut government spending, I'm usually looking at him going, yes, yeah, sure you are. When I see a candidate say, I want one issue per bill, I'm like, that candidate, this is going to sound weird, that candidate is serious about cutting spending. Right. And the way I know that is because... If you had to vote on each individual spending bill, or if you had to vote on or if you item like specific, we do, yeah, item. If you had to vote on that, you would get a much different set of votes than if you can just cramp them all together and say, "Oh, well, I had to vote for this." The federal budget I would be a lot smaller oh. if you were voting. If 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 everybody had to take an up or down vote on just pay increases for the FDA, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, save the puppies in there just yeah. to pay. Right. There, there'd be a lot less government waste. Well, and, and, and again, it goes to that. It goes to that idea of, you know, again, this is where the insider baseball and understanding where the real problems are, because politicians love to tell you, oh, the problem was just on this bill. No, no, no. The problem's fundamental. And if you don't address the fundamental, you're well, never going to get to this. The other part of it is reading the bill, right? Yeah. Reading the legislation. Uh, you know, I, I think you guys might have heard about this in the House, um, but this year in the Senate budget, um, we always get that 48-hour rule. You get 48 hours yeah. before you have to vote on the budget bill. So we read it. Every comma, every word, every shell, every may. So we read it. We're going through it. We flag the things we don't like so we can speak about them onto the floor, hopefully get them pulled out of the budget. Yeah. Come the next day, we go through it again. We flag something, some verbiage, right, that just says uh, changes the number from – 10 down to one and says the word provoke in it. And it's just language only in the budget, yeah. which is not that rare, yeah. but, but it just caught my eye and I go and we take those words and we put them in some obscure code section. Next thing you know, you plug the words in next thing you know, it's like the, the current law is any state property. If you have 10 or more, you've got to get a permit from the department of general services. Right. I understand. Okay. If we're going to come on, the Capitol Square, and we're going to rally about guns. If we're going to get 10 or more, then probably need to have a uniform officer there for both sides, make sure something don't happen. Well, they changed that number down to one, huh. right? And then they said provoke and all these other things, and I spoke to it on the floor of the Senate. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and and so I get two Democrats to come with us. I reluctantly have one of my colleagues, Emmett Hanger, votes with the Democrats because I don't mind calling Emmett Hanger out at all. He votes with a Democrat, goes 2020, and our new great Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, yeah. who was a, a Marine, of course, first yeah. black female Lieutenant Governor in our nation's history, votes along with us, and we protect our First Amendment rights. But that's why it's important that you get people in there that actually know how to do the job. Yeah. Oh, no, that, the that, was, that was a crazy catch, because that is one of those things we usually have. And, and again, for the audience who doesn't know, we have our respective, you know, we have the Republican caucus. We'll sit down, we'll meet, we'll talk over things within the budget. But the budget is a huge document. It's a behemoth. And and usually people are looking for these big, you know. Big spend items. Yeah, big yeah. spend items. That's where they're really giving a lot of scrutiny. Medicaid, all that other yeah. abortion stuff. And yeah, everything. yeah. But right. then you see something like this where it's like, holy hell, you were about to create an environment to where if one, one person, person 
one person wanted to come on and protest something, you got to get a permit, you got to have police presence, you got to go through. Or you're going to get locked off. And it was specifically designed. It was again, it was specifically designed to tamper speech. That's and it came it in like. at twelve thirty-seven a.m. Good, good. That, that, that is the sort of stuff that when they put the thing in, I tracked politics. it down, baby. Yeah, I was like, you got to be careful. So oh, I remember I, that. I've got like probably the most important question that I've got left. Yeah, um, is why on earth are you doing this? So <laughs> why do you want to subject yourself? Well, somebody to has to read all those five thousand <laughs> yeah, yeah. page bills, right? <laughs> I mean, they don't pass to anything, so you might as well read them all. I say this because you're no stranger to difficult races. Right. I mean, almost every single race you've run in has been a Toss up 50 50 mm-hmm. race, at least on paper. That's what boosts my confidence and, that he can win. Yeah. No, and you, I Tina. mean, fair enough, but like this is the type of district that, first off, we have to flip this seat to flip back the house. And yeah. we've got to hold the seat in order to maintain control of the house. And it's going to be every two years you're yeah. fighting for your political life, basically. So, and you, I mean, we already know what the left does when you're running. You're, you know, suddenly by, by November, you're going to be. This evil, terrible I, I, person. I won't recognize myself without everybody's saying, but I know who I am, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you know the attacks yeah. that, that Spamberger and her allies are going to throw against you sure. when you become the nominee. And and obviously, like I said, going forward, it's 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 not like you cruise to re-election every two years, right? Yeah. So that plus, I mean, being in D.C. is, they call it the swamp now for a reason. It's kind of a nightmare, I feel like, for some. I don't no, think look, you could pay me enough to go there. So why, why do look, you Both Nick and I went through swamp training in ranger school. We know where the alligators and all the, the leeches yeah. and all that stuff are. But here's the real reason, Christian, and thank you for bringing that up. Look, uh, Abigail Spanberger doesn't live in the new district. She lives 77 miles outside the district. Yep. This district now, my senatorial district, uh, represents a good swath of the new 7th, right? Eight, she rep- says she represents about 225. I represent about 200,000 people in my yeah. senatorial district. So the people in my district know who I am, both Republicans and Democrats. But the main reason that really, truly, I think I think what we need is leadership that understands how to get some things, good conservative things, Nick, good conservative <laughs> things done. And if not, press leadership to get them done, right? I'm not a yes man. And I think I've proven that time and time again. I'm my own man. And, you know, do I have a realistic expectation uh, to go to Congress? Absolutely. But I think some people lower their standards when they get there. I, I think we have to force the issue on some of these. We have to be able to articulate why Republican principles matter. Why how it works economically. Uh, Nick does a great job at it in the House. Hopefully I do a decent job in the Senate. But I like, as I say, as a football and lacrosse coach, don't talk about it. Put points on the board. Yeah. We have to, we owe it to the American people to put points on the board. That story I told about the African-American gal, we owe it to her, right? Because yeah. it comes at a sacrifice. Look, all of us in this room right here have been in politics and we've seen what it takes to win hard races. And to win hard races means you have to sacrifice, whether you wear the cloth of the country, whether you're a wife of a, of a soldier, whether you work for a, a delegate, you work for all of us and the Republican and, and Hamilton's doing what he's doing. And, and uh, it, you know, look, it comes at a sacrifice. But if we don't sacrifice for those freedoms, then we lose them. And that liberty once lost is never regained. And now is the time. I truly feel now is the time, as Reagan used to say, a rendezvous with destiny. And if we don't seize the moment, then we lose. And here's the deal. It's real simple. No one has set a vision for America today. Trump did a great job of trying to set the vision, right? Maybe not the best mouthpiece, but he, he certainly set was what was expected. And I, I was, you know, look, I, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, 
emphatically believe the Bible is an inherent inspired word of God. When, and God's word says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Right? We know that. What is the vision? It's not articulated by our president, the vice president. Heck, it's not even articulated by leadership in Washington in both chambers, right? It's just about how many stones can I throw at the other side versus, wait a minute, what about the people we represent? They want us to get back and right the country, you know? I mean, we got conflicts all over the world. I, I was telling Nick earlier, I just got back from Kitsap on the West Coast as part of my duties as chairman of the task force for military and defense affairs. And I, I finally got to go on a nuclear sub and, and look at our capabilities. We have the greatest uh, armed forces in the world. I, I have no doubt that we can't win conflicts. But the challenge that we have is immense. I have a son, as Tina and I were talking about our families, I have a son that's going to graduate high school, and he's going to go in uniform, and he's going to hopefully be an Army officer, and I worry. I worry that we have people going to Washington who are going to send my son to war to execute foreign policy who have no idea what the hell they are doing. And they're getting in these wars because they don't have any other recourse or they're listening to the wrong people and they're making these decisions. And I don't want my son. I don't want Nick's and Tina's son, Luke, going into that. I don't, I don't want them to serve under people who have no concept what it is to have to send somebody forward to bleed on a battlefield. That's important to me. So if I can be that guy that I can be on House Armed Services, that I can understand these things, that I can articulate just like Nick and I do day in and day out for in the General Assembly to our, our, our colleagues who've never worn the cloth of the country, that's important to me because that's national security. That's so people feel safe because, I, and I'm getting on a roll because I'm getting fired up, but let me tell you something. People today want what those first Virginians wanted. They want to be free of tyranny. They want to have freedom. They want to go out. They want to raise their family. They want to create a future for the future generations to be prosperous, right? They want their lives made easier. They want them better. And they certainly want them safer. And right now, we're not safer. You can't tell me I'm safer living in my home with what's happening. If I lived in Chicago or one of D.C. or one of these places, and you're taking away my gun rights with the shootings and the killings and everything else, don't give me that. Nick and I, well... I was in Richmond when the riots happened. The, the House of Delegates at the time, a year and a half ago, they were under Democrat control, so they stayed home. But, uh, but we were there. I watched Richmond burn and not one arrest be made. How is that right? That's not right. We have, to, we have to adhere to the rule of law. We sat for several years watching these things go away. We, we talked about gun stuff. In 2016, Mark Herring said, no more concealed carry for you, Christian. We're going to take away your concealed carry. And we got to work. My colleagues were like, well, we'll take away the governor's protection detail and pass a bill to do that. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but he'll probably veto. The governor will veto the bill. <laughs> How do you get back to, to what that is, right? And we got to work. Look, did I want to be at a table with all the Democrats to try to say, hey, look, what you're doing is wrong. It's a violation of our constitutional rights. You can make this the hard way or easy way. And I was the only Republican in the room with all those guys. And I said, look, you guys want to make progress on domestic violence? Look, nobody wants their people getting beat up and shot and killed, right? In domestic violence situations, there's a process for that. There's due process, court, you know, all these certain things that people have that process, and we can talk about that. But nothing gets talked about till you restore our rights. And so we brokered a deal when we said, hey, we had 25 state reciprocity. I want 50. 
I want to have the best concealed carry handgun policy in the country. And that's what we worked on. And we made sure that violent domestic abusers who have committed a malicious wounding or something like that to a loved one didn't have access to firearms so they could just shoot them if they've had a permanent protective order. What have they been allowed? They've been One, they've been tried once for a crime. Now the judge is issuing a protective order, which is a piece of paper, which basically anybody can walk through, but still it gives a victim a little bit of, of comfort. And it says, look, you've committed a crime. They don't feel safe. For two years under this permanent protective order, you shouldn't have access to firearms. Now, after that's over, no problem. You can go hunting, get your firearms back and that. But while you're under this protective order, based on what you've done to that person that supposedly you love, that you beat the living hell out of, we don't want you doing that because you're probably going to kill them. And, you know, look, we were lucky. The greatest thing that happened that year was I got to meet Ted Nugent because I got the Defender <laughs> Freedom Award from the NRA. But, look, it's all worth it, Right. Because those are the things that matter. The infringement on our rights, red flag laws. Oh, God, how, how many debates have we had about a that? Lot, yeah. Right? And the left continually encroaches on these things. We talked about, we haven't even talked about it today, but the parole board. Mm-hmm. Right? The parole board in Virginia, the chairman of the parole board, decided that she was just going to arbitrarily use her position and allow cop killers and all these other folks to go, circumventing the law of Virginia, which said, you have to notify the victim. And the prosecutor in each of those jurisdictions, and she just said, hell with it, and we're not going to do it. We're going to let them go. Yeah. Nobody did anything, but I did. Nick knows this. I filed a jerk complaint against her. And it went forward. The judge was suspended. And then two days before, this is how bad the rule of law was not followed. Two days before the jerk commission came out with their decision, you know what our great Governor Blackface Wreck-It Ralph Northam did? Replaced two members of the jerk commission, and she was restored to the bench. Now... Our great attorney general, Jason Meares, guess what he's doing right now? He's unsealing those records and he's going after her because now we have an attorney general that follows the rule of law. Well, and, and it's and it's amazing because it's another one of those it's another one of those instances where Democrats claim to want to address an issue, domestic violence. Yep. And so the way they, they tried to do it was we're going to take away concealed carry reciprocity. What? And, and then when we point, come and we say you can't do this, they're like, Well, we want to address this issue. Like we have been addressing this issue. We want to address this issue. You guys are the ones appointing people That's to parole exactly. boards that the let these people is. out. And what this really comes down to is they will look at they will look at a tragic event and not see a necessity to punish a violent offender. Because that a violent offender, of course, is only a bad guy because society mistreated them. No, they look at it as an excuse to expand their power at the expense of our liberty. And what's amazing is that at the end of the day, they don't make anyone safer, least of all the victims who are now going home and then finding out that the person that they thought was securely in jail is now back in their neighborhood. And, and And the same Democrats want to tell them, oh, no, you're safer now. Why? Well, because we restricted your gun rights. Wait, you restricted my gun rights because that guy did something wrong, and now you let him out of jail and put him right back in my neighborhood. <laughs> but one of the things that I, one of the things that I really appreciated about the way you went about that was Mark Herring came back and said, Mark Herring said, I'm taking it away for 25 states. Yeah. Now, typically you would come back and like, we want the law returned to the status quo. Bryce came back and said, I want 50. Yeah. <laughs> like, double it. Right. And, and, and again, you guys got that done. You got it done with a Democrat governor that actually had to sign that in because yeah. they got, they got pressed. Up I've got to say that is like, that can't be understated because for so long, the way that things have worked is the left comes in and says, 
I want to burn down your house. And then the right's response is, let's compromise. How about you only burn down half my house? <laughs> yeah. Right. Here's an idea. How about you don't burn down my house? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. like, we have these absolute losers in D.C., that they, they go to the negotiating table with the Democrats and they just want to half lose. Yeah. They, yeah. I'm not interested in that. I don't want somebody that's going to go there and, and negotiate half my rights away. Yeah. Yeah. I want somebody that's going to go there and be like, hey, you know what an actual compromise would be? Actual compromise involves us getting something, yeah. as in us expanding Second Amendment rights, not simply holding the line yeah. or let alone giving up something. Yeah. When we, you know, when when I saw you work, because I was in Richmond at the time, yeah. when, when I saw you work out that compromise, it wasn't simply, well, we're going to let the left get half of what they want and then we get nothing. No, we got something out of it. Yeah. And that is the mentality that has to be brought to D.C. is is. You draw, as Nick said, when he first announced that he was going to run for the House of Delegates, you draw the line in the in the sand and you say they will not cross this line. And unlike somebody like Obama, you actually enforce yeah. it. Yeah. I also really love the strategy of uh, using something that was just good policy that you could both agree on as your bargaining chip to be like, I guess I can agree with this as long as you give us all 50 states. And so I kind of feel like... Um, you did a really good job, not just, it's not, I wouldn't even consider it a compromise. What you did is you no. got them over to our side. And, um, you know, so often compromise is the name of the game, right? But what I find really impressive is the fact that you've been able to um, get concessions that you need at no expense. Right. And that's what I want in in a legislator. And one of the most, so we kind of established that there's a pattern for you where you're able to make the case effectively for what you believe with people who might actually be hostile toward it. And you're able to get them to come our direction instead of you coming their direction. I think one of the best examples of this, it's going to really throw everybody for a loop, but so often we see conservatives who have no idea what happened to their kids. We actually have... Uh, we did a whole podcast on yeah. this where, you know, parents maybe didn't make the the case very well to their kids. They maybe were really prescriptive with how right. they did it. Oh, well, we believe this because just because I said so I'm dad. Um, and there are very few parents who actually go that extra mile to get their kids to understand why they believe what they believe and actually carry it out. To the point where I feel like it's really rare now. And we're always yeah, wondering right. what happened to these kids. <laughs> This to me speaks volumes for how you have lived out what you believe. And the reason why is because both of your kids have, they're both conservatives. They're both, um, you know, one of them went to UVA, right? And they know, they know what they believe. And to me, it's, I know somebody can make a solid case if their kids even believe them, right? Because your kids are inclined kind of to rebel a little bit sometimes. And, and they would love to sometimes not, not agree with dad. Um, but in your case, that's not the case. You've made an impact to where they, they can stand on their own two feet and they know what they believe. They know their own mind. And to me, that's impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about your kids? Yeah, and I, and I'd love to talk about your kids too. Because <laughs> at least at least one of your children and my youngest child uh, both were Senate pages, yeah. and I think yep. that's where they cut their teeth to understand. Like they 
they got to see it, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing for all of us to talk to our kids about faith and standing for conservative principles, but I think when our two children uh, were in the PAGE program together in the Senate, I, they got to actually see the stuff and how it happened to make the sausage. And I think, mm-hmm. at least for my son Jack, um, I'll give you just a quick story. So about a week and a half ago, um, I think when Roe versus Wade decision was leaked out, one of the one of the females on the where he's at school was going to get a bunch of folks together to go protest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a text from Jack and um, um, it was not a very nice text about what he was saying, uh, kind of uh, <clears throat> the way he described the left, right, yeah. on this whole life issue. And uh, I just happened to have, uh, I'd gone to one of, you know, you all remember I fixed foster care with yep. the help of everybody and right. And, and if we have more homes, maybe that'll be less abortions that happen and all these yep. things. So it was a, a life wristband and he proudly like I was at one of his lacrosse games like, dad, what is that? And I'm like adoption, something is life or something. And it, it's in black and white. Well, so everybody thought at his school, which is pretty liberal, thought it was a BLM bracelet so when he turned it then they saw it was about adoption saves lives i think yeah. is what the band says they were like oh oh you know and he's like yeah <laughs> like you need to be pro-life and you know he's just out there but <laughs> no tina seriously i i couldn't be prouder uh, you know i've got got one as nick said that graduated uva as a super conservative i think and um if you can believe there are still some that come out of the batten school and <laughs> she worked for the president in the office of management and budget for mick mulvaney interned a couple summers there and worked for him for about a year and then now she's the deputy press secretary for u.s senator josh Hawley. and the, the question is if you get elected is she gonna work for you or are you not she's cool more pa- she's more powerful than i am are you kidding me like like i can't even she corrects everything i do i mean i've, I've raised a monster I, I mean, look, look, between you and I, Nick, we've raised some very powerful women that are going to change the world, right? Yeah. And and uh, they've both, uh, uh, they've had good examples of strong women in their lives. And then, you know, Jack, I, look, we were talking earlier, every male member of my family has worn a cloth of the country, and Jack is the only last one carrying the Reeves name, but uh, we're proud of him. He's going to A&M, Texas A&M, where I went, my brother went, and he's going to be in the Corps of Cadets starting August 13th. So by the 14th, he'll have a shaved head, and he won't like, let's see, what is it? He's sporting that mullet right now. Oh, my God. He's got a lacrosse mullet, yeah. What were you thinking? Like, when you saw your son be like, hey, Dad, there's this cool new hairdo. Uh, Let me get the mullet. Like, don't you like those long? He looks like George Custer a little bit. Did you cringe a little bit at first? Because... You look, live through the first look, round. You of haven't mullet. seen his peach fuzz mustache. That's oh the worst. Gosh. Oh, it's really horrible. You know, it's look, crazy. You know, here's the satisfaction, right? Yeah. He's going to go to Texas A&M. His first name will be Fish. He'll lose his identity. Yeah. He'll get his hair cut. It's just like basic training. He won't be able to want, like, lever feel out four answers. Yes, sir. No, sir. Sir, no excuse, sir. And sir, not being informed to the highest degree of accuracy, I said, hate to articulate for fear that I may deviate from true course of rectitude, rectitude and short term of very dumb fish and do not know, sir. That will be his four answers for at least a year. <laughs> so he he's going to have the suck so bad yeah. that, uh, but he's looking forward to it, right? Like this is, this is, this is how you know, men this, are forged. I'll tell you what this reminds me of. Uh, after, after I graduated ranger school, whenever one of my buddies or a friend or somebody's kid or whatnot was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to ranger school. I'm like, can you let me know the day they get there? Because I'm going to sleep in that day. Then I'm going to get up and I'm going to have a huge breakfast in recognition of the Blueberry fact pancakes. that I don't have to be hungry or <laughs> sleepy right now. Because oh, that's but that's great, though. That's great. Though. And, and you, you've got you've got a lot to be proud of with, with Mickey well, and Jack. And, um, well, 
look, Bryce, what I do want everyone to know is they need to go to BryceReeves.com because that's where you can find out more. If there's any issues here that we discussed, maybe you didn't get an answer to one of the questions you wanted, go to BryceReeves.com. You can go on the issues section. You can learn more and you can about donate. where he stands on every yeah. issue. You Key. can donate to campaigns. This is the worst part. Most people don't know this about running for office in general, running for Congress especially. Wah, wah, wah. You've got to spend a lot of time fundraising. And it is the part of the, it, if, you're, if you're like Bryce or myself, we hate it. We absolutely hate it. We despise it. It is no fun. But you got to do it because if you want the resources to be able to take the fight, you got to have it. Look, if you don't got the logistics, if you don't got the supply guy, if you want to be the tip of the spear, you mm -hmm. got to have uh, yeah, mother's well, milk, right? And yeah, my yeah. thing is, is that even if you're in a solid red district where yeah. you're not worried about your seat, here's the deal. We have got to win back the house. If we yeah. do not win back the house, we do not get anything done. And Bryce is running for a seat where if we win back the house, if he wins, our chances of winning back the house, would you say? A hundred percent. Yeah. If he wins, we will win back the house. There's no, so, no, there's, there's no debate there. If yeah. we, like, I'm not joking when I say that. If we flip the seventh district, there is no conceivable universe yeah. in which we do not flip the entire So house. we can't understate how imp important this election is. And I do believe Bryce is the only one who could beat Spanberger. And so if... If you even if you live somewhere else, if, if you have the means to help with finances and, and to send a donation, uh, what what's the website Bryce again? BryceReeves.com. BryceReeves.com. Yep. Please just dig deep. Yeah. Here's if the, you're willing, if you really want that house flipped, please donate to them. And it doesn't matter how much. Just five dollars, five hundred dollars. Yeah. To a thousand, two thousand. To add, <laughs> I, I don't 5, know what 000. the maximum donation is, but twenty nine hundred in a primary, yeah. twenty nine hundred, and you can donate both of them now, yeah. you and your spouse. So, so yeah. to to reiterate what, or to to build off of what Tina said, I'm going to make the argument in like thirty seconds right do now. Do it, do it, Christian. Not only is there no way that we can't lose the house if we flip this seat, but it doesn't matter where you are. To, to Tina's point, it does not matter where you are in the country. The votes that either Spamberger or Bryce, whoever holds this seat, are going to cast will directly affect you. Legislation, the effects of legislation don't end at the district boundary. Right. You could be in Alaska and the bills that are being passed or not passed in Washington, D.C. directly affect you. doesn't matter where you live. You could be in a safe red district. You could be in San Francisco. doesn't matter. These these type of districts, and there's only a handful after redistricting. The number of competitive seats have, have been cut in half. You're this is a like, top five race. Yeah, you're, you're talking like there's only a dozen seats out there that are actually like really competitive like this one. This is, like you said, well, this a just top flipped. five Cook, race. Cook Report just re-rated this about two and a half weeks ago from a lean Democrat to toss-up. To toss-up. I'm not surprised at all. They, we're seeing the same the trajectory that we saw in reverse to what happened in 2018, where yeah. this started out as lean Republican and then Spanberg ended up winning it. You're going to see the same thing. It started out as, as lean Democrat, and I think you're going to end up winning it. But my point is, is that it doesn't matter where you live in the country. You could live in the middle of central Texas, 80% Republican, or you could live in San Francisco. The legislation that is being voted on by the occupant of this district is directly impacting you. So if you're looking for a place for you to have your, your donation, you know, be emphasized even more to have a bigger impact, it might not be in your own congressional district or your own Senate race. It's going to be in this district. If we flip this seat, we flip the house. Period. End of story. Well, we don't have to. We don't have to outraise them. We just have to fund our plan. And you know, my last election, Christian, you remember they ran a moderate Democrat against me, outspent us five to one, and we still beat her by three and a half points in a blue wave year. Yep. 
So, I mean, look, we're going to do the hard work of freedom, right? And it's door knocking. It's all the things. But it's a two-silo type process. You have to raise the money to be competitive, to get your word out. Because nobody discounts anything. Like they say they are. But, you know, TV, all those things to get the message out of who you are, uh, they you pay full freight for it. But in, in order to do that, look, it's sweat equity. It's bringing people together. It's having the right message, being able to articulate that. And, you know, we have a proven record of doing that. Look, I don't, I'm not just not talking it up saying what I would do in Congress. I've got a record to prove it. I'll stand on my record all day long, you know, and, and I've probably got 30,000 votes in 11 years in the General Assembly. But as Nick always uh, articulates, look, it's doing the hard right over easy wrong when it's required to do it. And I don't ever look to the next election. I try to get done the things that have to get done now. If I screw it up, people will vote me out for sure. Absolutely. And I hope they would. They, I have people hold me accountable because that's what we're supposed to do. Right. And it's about that leadership. It's about being, as Nick's show, making the argument. If you don't make the argument, the answer is always no. And you have to make that argument. So I, I can't thank you guys enough for allowing me to spend a little time with you guys today. All right. Well, I just I just checked the website. I just donated. So it works. Your, your link's not broken. We got broken. your five dollars. Your link's not broken. Because I know you don't have any money. I know Tina has it all. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, listen, I want to thank you for coming on, Bryce. I want to thank you everyone for watching. Thank you for all of our our, our commentary and our, our questions and whatnot. Um again, I think Christian summed up the argument here pretty well. Um a lot of times people will look at what's going on in their own district, feel like they don't have a very competitive race, don't know what to do. Again, you want to have the biggest impact, you go to the area where whatever you're doing is going to have the biggest impact. This is one of the top five races in the country, Virginia 7th District, BriceReeves.com. Now you know. There's no excuse to say that you didn't. So please get out there. Uh, support the candidates that already have proven that they will stand by what they told us they were going to do when they got into office. And when you have someone that has done it, at some point we got to continue to stand by them. Because there will be a lot of people that show up out of nowhere that all of a sudden have all the answers. Yeah. But if they haven't invested in anything, if they haven't invested in any blood, sweat, or tears in order to make it happen, I'm not saying they wouldn't make good on it. But we've seen time and time again and when, when we they have haven't. Someone, and when we have someone that has proven that they will do it and have done it successfully in a difficult district and have won by wider margins by being conservative, not by being a squish, that's the sort of person we want to go into D.C. in this day and age, and I would argue any day and age. And, of course, one last thing. The primary for this race is June 21st, but you can vote early right now. So you can go to your local registrar. You can vote early. Make sure that you do that. And for everybody that is concerned about voting early, here's the thing I'll tell you. If you're concerned about election integrity, when you vote, when you vote early, the voter ID number in the Commonwealth of Virginia that is assigned to you as a voter automatically goes on a list that says you've already voted. So if somebody tries to order an absentee in your name, they can't do it. But if you wait all the way to election day, I'm just saying. So June 21st, primary here in Virginia, vote early, go to your local registrar, do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next episode.